Peggy and I read this gentleman all the time. And so we saw an article yesterday that really intrigued us. And I was going to cover the article on the show and talk about it. It's called Five Unexpected Investment Predictions for the Second Half of 2015. But we got all wrapped up in Greece yesterday. Yesterday was Greece <laughs> Day. And so we didn't get to it. And so Peggy went out and got the author, which I'm really pleased at. And, and by the way, I immediately admire this person because she handed me another article that she mentioned this morning uh, talking about, and, and the t- title of this article is Three Stock Predictions I Got Totally Wrong. Now, you've heard me talk about this over and over again, how I – do not like the financial entertainment that I generally see on the air because these guys get up there and they make predictions and they're not accountable for them. They'll get up, they'll make a prediction in January that is totally wrong. In the following January, they'll get up and make another prediction, not having to account for the prediction that they got wrong the year before. Yet yet our next guest um, is amazing because he comes right out and he writes an article about predictions he got wrong, but he gets more right than wrong. And you really need to listen to him. His name is Jeff Rees. Jeff is a journalist and former New York Times editor with over a decade of newsroom experience. Currently, he's the editor and lead writer of InvestorPlace.com, a finance and investing website that serves about a million unique monthly visitors, including Peggy and I. We are pleased this morning to have on Mr. Jeff Rees. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank thank you for your writing. You're a very good writer. You really (laughs) are. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, it's interesting you bring up that column about um, the investing mistakes. I mean, I, I kind of feel like uh, I, I have an obligation to, to say stuff like that because people, you know, they email me, they follow me on Twitter. Um, you know, I, it, it's funny. You can't act like people aren't going to remember what happened. So just acting like your old calls don't exist doesn't really make them go away. So I figure it's the, it's the very least that I can do. I'm always kind of surprised people um, always respond very well to to when I admit my mistakes. I think that uh, you know it's just the natural order of things. I can't imagine doing it any other way. I, well, I think it's because you're the only journalist in America that's doing that. Um, <laughs> because certainly the television journalists uh, are not that kind. I mean, uh, they they really they they just never acknowledge when they're totally wrong. Uh, but uh, but you did. And in fact, uh, I guess well while, while we're on the subject, let's just quickly cover that because I'd like to get to the your investment predictions for the second half, but you got a couple of things wrong. But uh, it, one was, I guess, uh, you were wrong on Netflix. Yeah, actually, it's funny. Um, I, I do this kind of recap of my calls every six months. Uh, I'm kind of a, a longer-term investor. I don't really swing trade over, over weeks. Uh, but I think six months give you a pretty good picture on, on whether things are directionally going to be right or wrong. Um, and so it's actually at the end of, of 2014 when I recapped my – best and worst picks of the year, uh, I actually, I was really bullish on Netflix last year, and I got a big run, but like so many investors, um, you know, you start to wonder when the other shoe is going to drop, you start to think that the growth is over, you worry about earnings multiples, and, and I got scared on Netflix, you know, I, I enjoyed the write-up in 2014, and I just kind of chickened out, so, uh, you know, that's kind of why I write these columns, is because I think we all have these experiences, I think it's instructive to go back and, and see what went right and what went wrong, and you know, in, in a company like Netflix, I think my fundamental problem was that, you know, I'm, you can't view it like a Procter & Gamble or a Johnson & Johnson, right? It's just not the same. It's a bigger growth story. There is a lot of narrative behind it. Uh, and I think that my fundamental flaw was, you know, I thought that it was just due for a decline. And, and due is in air quotes for your, for your listeners. You know, you think that uh, everything can't go up forever, so it's just going to have to drop. And that's not necessarily true. It's, it's true for the market at large right now. Uh, everyone talks about how it's re- very long in the tooth, but... You know, we actually saw a much bigger rally under Clinton. 
um, from '94 to 2000. So uh, I, I don't I don't really think that um, necessarily things are, are due to decline just because they've gone up. And I think that was an important lesson for me to learn there. And speaking of Netflix, I'm sure you probably saw there's a headline today. Their stock price raised, their target raised well above the record levels at Raymond James. Their stock price target was bumped up to $730 from 585 Wow. Yeah, at the same time, though, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is that I, I, I try to have perspective. I don't know if I, if I want to flip-flop yet again on Netflix, but Carl Icahn <laughs> bailed out, right? Like, he, right. he thought that all the money was made in Netflix, and now he's moving on. He said he's moving his money to Apple instead. So uh, it's interesting to see what's going on with Netflix. I think we are at an inflection point because a lot of investors, they have enjoyed the run. They are taking money off the table. Uh, I, I was a little early uh, in my call, but I, I, you know I can't necessarily think that uh, Icon is making a, the, the wrong move here. I don't I don't know how much more upside there is in Netflix uh, dramatically, but you know if I'm wrong, I'll come back on it in a couple of months to you guys. Well, you've got another interesting article. I'm just going to get into it because since we're talking about individual stocks, now this one to me it took a lot more guts. Uh, you actually come out and say you've got five dividend stocks that are forever, and I in using the word forever. It's pretty amazing. Forever investments. Do you want to cover some of those? Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I think that it's important to, to recognize that it, it's all about your strategy. And I, I'm a firm believer in the long-term buy and hold, dividend investing, go for total returns. Uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily for retirement investors who are looking for income. I think the research has shown time and time again that if you reduce your costs by not churning your portfolio and you rely on kind of these stable blue-chip stocks for, for good income, uh, you come out ahead. You may not burn the house down with 40% returns a year, but let's be honest, uh, hedge fund folks who say they can do that every year are just lying to you. So um, the forever stocks that I like right now, I'll, I'll kind of have you know reasons why they're they're not necessarily cyclical investments, that they're going to be good in any market. Um, the, w- one of the big ones that I'm bullish on is HCP. Uh, it's a real estate investment trust, but it's focused on healthcare properties. Um, one of my biggest uh, investing themes is to follow the, the demographic shift of the boomers. Uh, and right. as Americans age, there's going to be more need for senior housing, for outpatient care. Uh, it's kind of a recession-proof industry, healthcare. People are always going to try to get better when they're when they're unwell. Um, I, I really like HCP because it's got a super low beta of less than four right now, which means it wiggles much less than the market. So if you're afraid of volatility, this is a great stock for you. And the dividend yield is six percent. Um, the share price performance hasn't been all that great. But if you give me 6% a year for the rest of my life, I'll, t- I'll take that to the bank. I think that uh, there are worse things than uh, being insured a, a steady stream of income from a, a demographic play like that one. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that stock. And then you like Williams Partners. There's a lot of MLPs out there in the energy sector. Why did you choose Williams? Yeah, I'm a big believer in the infrastructure plays uh, that are part of the MLPs. They're, I like to call them toll takers. Uh, you know, they're glorified middlemen where people extract it from the ground. Uh, whether it's natural gas, oil, whatever, uh, they extract energy from the ground, um, and then other people will process it and bring it to market. The pipelines are, are a great play because they are the middlemen. They're not exposed to commodity prices. Uh, Williams is one of the biggest infrastructure plays out there. Uh, they had a recent acquisition of Access Midstream Partners. Um, dividend yields 7%. Again, it's a super low beta. It's about 5, 5.5 right now. So, uh, again, this is not one of those stocks that's going to go to the moon, uh, but it's also not exposed to the volatility of commodity prices. You get a very reliable dividend. Um, and, and like I said, these are not cyclical plays. 
uh, regardless of the price of energy, energy is still going to have to move through those pipelines, and Williams can take its toll. It's not going to be exposed to, to prices either way. So uh, I'm, I'm a big believer, particularly uh, thanks to the exposure Williams has to some of the fracking fields uh, that have the biggest output uh, shale fields in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Uh, so it's just going to be lots of lots of business for them as they take tolls from energy producers along the way. Yeah, you could you could be writing for our firm because I have three uh, I have three areas I like the most: energy, food, and healthcare. You pick you manage to hit them all because uh, you have uh, in your list Unilever and Agrium, uh, both of which uh, are involved with food. Yeah, I mean Unilever is easy. Uh, it's a big consumer staple stock. Dividend yields three uh, percent. It's got some of the biggest brands out there: Lipton Tea, Dove Soap. Uh, I'm sure people are familiar with with kind of how they make their money there. Uh, Agrium is a little bit off the beaten trail, but uh, it's an agricultural chemicals company. I think uh, particularly as, you know, population worldwide continues to grow, emerging market demand for what we'll call Western tastes, uh, you know, more beef um, that, that requires a lot more feed for cattle that puts strain on the agricultural system of the world and the chemicals producers like Agrium Jeff, need we got, fertilizers. Jeff, we got, we got to run. We'll be back in just a second. Stay with us, folks. Back to you in a moment. More of the straight talk you need to make it in today's economy with Mike Robertson. Well, the markets opened up in the green, but not by much. The Dow is up just two points, and the Nasdaq uh, S&P is up uh, only 0.53. The Nasdaq hasn't joined the party. They're actually down only 4.8 this morning. So uh, kind of a mixed opening, uh, and nobody's opening up very, very strongly. I guess they're... They're not letting Greece stay on the front burner, but they're at least paying attention to it. They've got an eye on Greece this morning and just an eye on everything that's going on out there. It's just it's an unusual world that we're in right now. And so we've got a great guest for you uh, who is going to kind of give us an idea of what he thinks uh, is going to happen in the second half because there's a lot of questions out there of what the second half of this year is going to be. In fact, I mentioned the other day how Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch both came out very strongly for growth in the second half. We'll see what Jeff has to say about it. We've got this morning Jeff Reeves. He's a journalist and former New York Times editor. He is currently the editor and lead writer of InvestorPlace.com, which is a finance and investing website that serves about a unique, uh, one million unique monthly visitors. You know, I still can't get control of my tongue this morning. <laughs> I apologize to everybody. Anyway, Jeff, you wrote a great article called... Um, Five Unexpected Investment Predictions for the Second Half of 2015. Uh, And you start out, which kind of fits into what's going on this week. Europe will be fine with or without Greece. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's it's great for for CNBC and Fox and all the uh, cable news outlets to have, you know, kind of the crisis du jour to make their fancy infographics about uh, but I think the, the bottom line is that there is a lot of uncertainty about Greece, but that kind of cuts both ways. There's a lot of people who talk about uh, Brexit being a foregone conclusion and that it's the end of the euro, a return of the drachma, and there's going to be contagion all across Europe and that Spain is next. Uh, I think it's very important to recognize that the no vote that we saw um, on the weekend was not necessarily a no to the eurozone and it's the end of the line. There's still negotiations. I'm not going to pretend those are easy. But, um, you know, I'm kind of a, a believer that Europe wants this to work and they're going to find a way, uh, a way forward. And even if they don't, um, let's be honest with ourselves, there have been articles about the end of the Eurozone and, and the death of Greece since 2010. So if you run a hedge fund and you haven't been pr- preparing for 
the eventuality that this may happen in Greece, well, then you're not really a good steward of your client's money. I mean, this is not a surprise to anyone unless you've been living under a rock, and, and your portfolio should take that into account. So I, I also think that long-term you know, investors can continue to average into Europe. I'm continuing to average into Vanguard Total Stock Market as an international fund that's ex-U.S. It's about 40%, 50% allocated in European stocks. Um, it, I, I think that that's still a great long-term investment for people. And, and people should also remember that Europe-focused ETFs like Vanguard's VGK fund, they've actually outperformed the S&P 500 so far year-to-date. So it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean you should cut Europe out of your portfolio. Uh, I'm not going to act like it's going to be easy, particularly for the Greek people. But, um, you know, I, I do think that all this, you know, the fancy infographics you see on, on cable news can kind of get to people. I, I, I think things will be fine in the long term, and you should continue to average in, particularly if you're, you're a long-term investor. Yes, we call that financial entertainment uh, <laughs> on CNBC. All right, now, uh, you mentioned in your article, and I had, and I had read it yesterday uh, in your article, that uh, – about Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch coming up and saying, hey, they thought the growth was going to be stronger the second half of the year, and apparently you agree with them. I do. Uh, I mean, Goldman thinks that we're going to see a 3% pace of growth in the second half. It's going to offset the slow start to the year. The jobs numbers have been very good. I, I know that the kind of the latest jobs report we saw, uh, once again, people had concern with labor force participation. But back to my, the, the earlier statement I made when I was talking at HCP, I do think that that's a function of demographics. I think for the next 10 12 years, we're going to see labor force participation drop as people retire. My parents retired uh, three years ago, I think, to two years ago. Um, it, it happens to people when they get older. You can't work forever, even if you want to. Uh, and it's a natural part of the labor force and how demographics work. So I, shouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into labor participation. I would be very optimistic about growth in the second half of the year after we've recelerated, after um, a, a kind of a, a soft Q1 thanks to the weather and other factors. Uh, and I think that powerful finish of the year is is definitely going to instill some confidence. So I wouldn't I wouldn't run for cover just yet. I think the U.S. is is going to be even stronger than it is right now. Do you think that the strong dollar uh, could get in the way? I mean, they were talking about that this morning about how uh, we could see some earnings revisions just because the dollar remains incredibly strong. And it would seem to me uh, that as a, a result of the Greek crisis, if it continues to go on. Uh, money comes running to the United States, which strengthens their dollar. I noticed the 10-year this morning is down to a 2.21 again. Um, that's down uh, quite a bit over the last week or so. Uh, could a strengthening dollar uh, change your mind about the second half of this year? Well, I do I, I do completely agree with you. I think the dollar is going to stay very strong. I actually don't think uh, rates on the 10-year are going to top 2.5 this year at all. That's my next prediction. I mean, there's all this talk about the Fed. Uh, but I think that, number one, people historically always jump the gun on when the Fed is going to raise rates. And uh, I think the Treasury market can move up slightly uh, if we get a you know 25 basis point increase. Uh, I, I don't necessarily it's going to take the 10-year to 5% just because we increased 25 basis points. So I think rates are going to stay low. The dollar is going to stay strong. But, again, this is one of those, those stories that, unless you've been living under a rock, the dollar has been quite strong for about a year now. Uh, it's weighed on commodity prices. It's weighed on the earnings of multinationals like Colgate and, and uh, whoever. Um, so I think it's, it, it's important to recognize that year over year, I don't think the comparisons are going to be too bad. If, if companies are, are facing trouble, like Coca-Cola and McDonald's, I think it's, they're going to probably blame the dollar. But let's be honest, McDonald's has had trouble for, for many quarters straight now. They changed the CEO. Coca-Cola still has trouble because they're having trouble connecting 
sugary sodas with uh, Americans who are just saddled with too much diabetes and trying to eat healthier. So I think you'll see companies blaming the strong dollar. I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a big uh, damper on the market at, uh, at large. I think that the strong dollar is just kind of baked into the pie right now. All right. I'm going to uh, I, I'm going to skip one. I've got about three minutes. I'm going to skip one because I want to come back to China last. But you say that this bull market won't end. Do you think it's going to continue? Do you think, uh, to me, it looks like we're going to have a, almost a flat year. I predicted at the beginning of the year, and I'm not much on predictions, but I didn't think we would have anything higher than a single digit this year. I just didn't see the makings for a, another double digit this year, double digit year. Right now, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't have any gain at all. But you seem to feel like we're going to continue to move up on the bull market. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember, too, that in 2011, we saw um, some volatility during the year back with a different European debt crisis. Uh, right. But that didn't, didn't necessarily break the bull market just because we kind of had a, a, a flat to, to middling year. I think that another one of those doesn't necessarily kill the market and that we can continue to accelerate uh, next year. Um, it, it, it's, it's important when you think about what kills the bull market, what's the, the technical definition of, of a bear market. Uh, we've seen intra-year declines of roughly 10% in 2010 and 2012. Like I said, that didn't completely derail the market. I think declines happen. No market goes up in a straight line. So I'm not, I, I don't pretend to believe that it's going to be, you know, one and a half to two and a half percent gains every single month for the next 36 months. I think that's a bit naive. But I do think that, you know, the bumps that we see along the road will be counteracted by a continual upward trend. Um, you know, all that could be off if China does, you know, go to heck, or if things in Greece get much, much worse than I expect, uh, something can always happen, but I'm not going to live my life based on the idea that uh, eventually a meteor is going to fall out of the sky and crush me. I think that the fundamentals right now are looking pretty good, and I think the market will keep going higher. Well, yeah, we're, it's, it's an ugly dance, but we are the prettiest girl to dance. All right, let's go to China, <laughs> which seems to be a, a real concern out there. From the people I talk to and the economists I talk to, they don't pay that much attention to Greece. They think that's more political and a lot of noise. But there is some concerns over China, and I've got only got about a minute left to talk about it. So what are your thoughts on China? Well, number one, I'll say that China's GDP is about 50 times Greece. So if you're worried about Greece, China's if it has a two-percentage-point drop in its GDP, that's like Greece doesn't even exist. So you should care about China a whole heck of a lot more than you care about Greece. And I guess I'll just sum it up to say that I think what we're seeing right now in China is Beijing's pulling out all the stops to make sure that they're – uh, overly inflated bull market stays a bull market, and it's not just because they care about individual investors, because most people don't when they're in power. What they right. really care about is keeping power, and if they lose this bull market, I think that it shows uh, a kind of a lack of confidence in the government. Remember, they are the banks. They are the economy. It's not like the U.S. or the West. So I think I China agree. has a huge, huge reason to get this right, and I don't All know right. if that's going to happen. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for being with us today. Appreciate Thanks. it. Have great, a great show. Day. Thank you. Bye-bye.